It's been said that one in ten kids will be on some kind of behavioral medication by the time they reach the age of 18. Yet many of these same kids don't seem to do much better behaviorally even after medication is prescribed. And with so many mental health professionals scratching their heads over the lack of real science behind so many common diagnoses, how are parents supposed to know that the medication their child has been prescribed is really dealing with an actual empirically proven disorder? Do our children really need even a fraction of the medications being prescribed to them today? Or could it be that postmodern stimuli and the new morality that are systemic to today's American culture are actually affecting our kids' moods and behaviors far more than we realize? And what or who should we turn to for help and hope when things like depression and bipolar disorder are diagnosed? Well, we'll find out next on today's Licensed to Parent. Hello and welcome once again to the broadcast. Licensed to Parent is the radio outreach of Shepherds Hill Academy, a year-long residential program working with teens in crisis. Our host on the program is Trace Embry, the founder and director of Shepherds Hill, and I'm Rich Rosel. And Trace, uh, we see a lot of kids coming here to Shepherds Hill with a whole lot of different diagnoses, not the least of which are depression and bipolar disorder. Mm -hmm. There are a whole lot of others, of course, but why do you suppose that there seems to be such an epidemic with today's teens, particularly in the area of depression and bipolar disorder? Hmm. Well, uh, Rich, Shepherd's Hill is, is world-renowned for, for helping troubled teens and their entire families with myriad diagnoses. Depression and bipolar disorders are certainly two that we deal with all the time. Of course, I'm a bit suspicious about a lot of these diagnoses myself, uh, particularly depression and bipolar, because, you know, as you know, 70% of the kids that come through here on bushel loads of meds, they're going to graduate medication-free after a year. Uh, and this is not because, you know, we're against medications or trying to maintain an impressive track record, but because our kids have come to a place in their lives where they, they understand that they, they can actually control so much of their own mental health simply by what they allow themselves to be exposed to, engaged in obsessed with and stimulated by, and how they actually choose to respond to the tribulations of life. We believe that the key to mental and emotional health is, is first a spiritual thing. Uh, unfortunately, uh, today's kids are no longer growing up in a culture that fosters a climate for spiritual health, at least not holy spiritual health, let's put it that way. It does, however, foster a climate for self-indulgence and literally all the seven deadly sins. And these things are are definitely killing us uh, from the inside out, it's like we're microwaving our souls here. We're a spiritual culture, all right. But the spirits competing with the Holy Spirit have drastically increased in recent times and have now done a pretty good job of mm. commandeering uh, the largest stages and the loud, loudest microphones in our culture today. I mean, uh, today's mental health field occupies both. I mean, just look at all the pharmaceutical commercials on TV today. So, so when a doctor or a therapist with a bunch of letters behind their name says Junior has this or that quote-unquote disorder— and needs this or that medication for a quick and easy fix, I mean, who are we but mere insignificant and uneducated parental peon to question it? But our faith for raising kids and living life is, is, uh, is going to be in something, Rich. Uh, it, it'll be in ourselves, our parents, uh, our extended family, our culture, Dr. Spock, Dr. Phil, Dr. Drew, Dr. Oz, Dr. Oprah, or God in his word. But we're going to put our faith in something. And, and here at Shepherd's Hill and on the Licensed to Parent broadcast, our faith is in the wonderful counselor, uh, otherwise known as the great physician. And we have a track record that gives undeniable evidence that this mental health professional is spot on. 
But, of course, we also believe that all health begins with spiritual health. We get that right. And I believe that mental, emotional, relational, social, and even physical health uh, will very often take care of itself. Well, in light of all that you've just laid out, we are actually going to turn to a physician, a person with lots of letters after his name, who you may have thought we were discrediting in the opening, (laughs) but we're not because he is on par with all Mm -hmm. of this and and recognizes that truth, even medical truth, is first founded in in Scripture and in the the providence of God. Mm -hmm. Uh, Dr. Charles Hodges is a family physician practicing in Indianapolis, Indiana. He's also the executive director of Vision of Hope. He's joining us today from the Vision of Hope offices. That's a, a residential treatment facility for young women with emotional struggles. Uh, Dr. Hodges has been counseling people with mood problems and other family issues for over 25 years. He's a fellow with the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, an instructor and counselor with Faith Biblical Counseling Ministry in Lafayette, Indiana. And uh, he's also author of the book, Good Mood, Bad Mood. Charles and his wife, Helen Kay, have been married 46 years, and they have four children of their own and... They trump us here, Trace, 13 grandchildren. Oh, well, there you go. Well, Dr. Hodges, welcome to Licensed Apparent. Well, thank you. It's good to be here. Listen, uh, there, there are countless books written about bipolar disorder, uh, depression, schizophrenia, and the like. Why do we need another one? Well, I decided to write the book because I was getting uh, lots of questions from friends of mine about why they were seeing so many people who were coming into counseling who were carrying the label of bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. When I started practicing medicine uh, in the 1970s, uh, maybe one in a thousand people would be labeled as manic depression, which was the old term for bipolar disorder one. Mm-hmm. And somewhere along in the late 80s, early 90s, we just started to see a flood of people being diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And, and, and why is that? Well, uh, in the 1980s, the criteria for making the diagnosis were, were changed. The, um, the uh, criteria used to make this diagnosis are, are in what we call the um, Diagnostic Statistic Manual of Mental Disorders. Which is the Bible <laughs> of secular mental health. That's true. It, actually, it really is just a description of the disorders, and then they put a number with it, the mm-hmm. numbers used in order to make the diagnosis official. And, but the um, criteria for bipolar disorder went from being manic depression to uh, bipolar disorder 1, 2, and then several other categories. And when they changed the categories, it became, uh, particularly with the addition of the bipolar 2 diagnosis, it became a lot easier to put that label on mm-hmm. individuals. At the same time, they changed some of the criteria for depression, for making the diagnosis of depression, which increased the number of individuals who were getting diagnosed with depression, which also feeds into the bipolar disorder diagnosis as well. Is there a real change, though, that's taking place, or is it just that we are recognizing and putting the stamp bipolar on more people now than we used to? Uh, you know, the change comes about from the way we make the diagnosis of depression. Mm-hmm. Um, in the third revision of the Diagnostic Statistic Manual, henceforth we'll just say DSM, the, um, uh, the criteria uh, made allowances for sadness over loss, grieving. Uh, if uh, When I 
started practicing medicine, if you could tell me why you were sad, we would not give you a diagnosis of major depression. We were we would say that you were grieving a loss or that you were having an adjustment order, you know, disorder problem. Sure. But we wouldn't say that you had major depression. And this wasn't uh, just in Christian circles, correct? Oh yes, this was the this was the secular psychiatric uh, hmm. medical um, way of doing it at the time. Mm-hmm. And the result was that probably a, an additional 90% of the people who get labeled with depression today uh, are people who really are struggling over sadness, over losses in their life that are real and mm-hmm. should make them sad, but they don't really have an underlying disease uh, that we would call depression. Now, they get called depressed, but they um, don't have a disease. So is there any real science anywhere uh, behind the idea of depression, bipolar 2 or schizophrenia or things like that? Are, is there any real empirical science to say that, no, you, we, we, can, we can track this, we can measure this, this is exactly what you have, or are these things something other than that? Well, um, there are two diagnoses in history if you you know start back with Hippocrates and come forward, um, there are two diagnoses that will almost always appear and are fairly consistent. One is schizophrenia, and the other is uh, manic depression, bipolar disorder. One, these almost always appear. Other diagnoses come and go depending on the uh, society in which they are. Um, you know, society in the 1800s didn't need ADHD. Uh, society today seems to, so we have it. Um, if you go ahead 100 years, we may not be talking about ADHD any longer. But schizophrenia and uh, manic depression bipolar disorder, one, will always be there. And I, I would say, as a physician and as a medical scientist of sorts, that uh, these two are medical ailments. They're, they're real medical problems. And we have, uh, we, uh, I was listening to an audio digest program uh, just this morning uh, talking about the pathology that underlies schizophrenia. Uh, we don't understand uh, as much about the pathology of manic depression, but it's, you know, my opinion as a physician is is that manic depression, the uh, old bipolar disorder one, uh, is is a, a medical ailment as well. Mm-hmm. How much of the um, of the manifestations we're seeing in some of these diagnoses? Uh, are, are little more than, than sleep deprivation in kids. With digital technology, kids are sleeping with their smartphones, uh, which I don't think they should have in the first place, um, or their cell phones under their pillows. And uh, I know the kids we get here at Shepherd's Hill, uh, a lot of them are, are definitely sleep-deprived. That can lead to some pretty crazy uh, outworkings too, can it? Um, absolutely. Um, and when I teach about depression... Uh, one of my early statements in the lecture will be that when people come to me and they tell me they're worried or they're depressed, I want to know how much they're sleeping at night. Mm. And if you're sleeping less than eight hours, uh, for most people, you are operating in sleep deprivation. Mm-hmm. And two of the most common consequences of chronic sleep deprivation are uh, de- sadness, depression, and worry, anxiety. Mm-hmm. Uh, screen time for children is a bad thing. When I was uh, growing up, uh, my mother would let us watch 30 minutes of television a day. Mm-hmm. And even then it was called the idiot box by our parents. I remember that. It, it certainly was. And, and she wouldn't let us watch the Three Stooges. <laughs> and, and the reason why was because my brother and I would do what we saw on <laughs> <Sure>. television. <laughs> exactly. And, and, if, and at that point in time, if 
uh, we were bored, and which I don't remember being bored all that much, frankly. Her response was, why don't you go outside and play? Yep. And, and we did. You know, parents are still hearing the complaint from kids because, you know, you say you don't, you don't remember that many times being bored. But I'm sure there was a time when you did say, Mom, Dad, I'm bored, which I did, which Trace did. About but, mid-August before yeah, school started. Yeah. But, but the thing of it is, is, yeah, it, you know, it's okay to be bored. Right. And and you don't have to have the immediate gratification, but when you are sent outside, you're given an open door, literally, opportunity to go and explore and find something to occupy your time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, stimulating those uh, critical, constructive, and creative thinking capacities in our brain. Innovative play uh, is hampered by screen time, mm-hmm. and it robs the child of the opportunity to take his shoes and turn them into cars. Yep. <laughs> uh, you know, to, to see objects and reimagine them as, as something else. It cuts down on, uh, on all kinds of creative thinking that goes on in the mind of a child if, if you don't uh, stick them in front of a screen. Mm-hmm. Let me ask this, uh, getting back to what a lot of people are looking at and calling uh, depression and, and bipolar disorder. How can parents, before they head off and spend hundreds or thousands of dollars on um, all sorts of tests and and uh, counseling and everything else. Are there ways that that parents on their own in their homes can can sort out? Is this really something major like uh, like clinical depression or or bipolar disorder, or is it something more basic? Well, you know, when I teach about depression, um, I emphasize to uh, the the students that the important thing is to get a good history and. Um, as a parent, what you want to know is when it started. When did this start? Uh, as a physician or as a counselor, I want to know those things as well. When somebody comes in and tells me they're depressed, I, I want to know when's the last day you felt good. Um, what, when did this start? And then I want to know what happened around it. And uh, sometimes it's, it may be a little bit difficult for a parent to get that kind of information out of the child, but... You know, I, I think if we spend more time with our children and Amen. then spend a little time listening, mm. um, they may very well tell us. I think it was Soria Mosler, he was a great physician who started residency training in the United States, said if you listen to a patient talk long enough, they'll tell you what's wrong. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that's very true with children as well. Yeah. When did this sadness start? Find out, important to find out what's going on at school. You know, I, I can remember I, I spent a good part of the sixth grade hiding in a coat closet or down in the library reading books because there was a fellow who uh, took great pleasure in beating me up whenever he had a chance. Mm. It, it helped me become a good reader. Um, that would have been important information for my parents to know. I, I doubt they to this day know. Yeah. That's the kind of information you want to know from your child. Sure. Um, with the... Uh, shootings down in the school in Florida, mm-hmm. it came out that uh, one of the, the people who has been doing a lot of speaking was engaged in bullying the kid who shot all those children. That individual publicly testified to the fact that they had been involved in ostracizing and bullying this young man. Mm. No excuse for his doing the shootings, but you know when you start looking at that, yeah. you start it gives you an understanding of what was going on in the kid's mind. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot, uh, I know, you know when, when kids have been here, you know, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, sometimes nine, ten months, uh, things come out 
that uh, start putting the, the puzzle together. And I think a lot of parents, you know, they want to think the best of their children, uh, about their children. And I think uh, Scripture lays the precedent that we should think the truth about our children. And sometimes that truth isn't so pretty. I think you're exactly right. I think a lot of things are going on in the lives of our kids that we just aren't aware of. And, and quite frankly, we don't want to be aware yeah. of. We're talking today on Licensed to Parent with Dr. Charles Hodges. He's author of the book, Good Mood, Bad Mood. And uh, while we're not going through that page by page, we are uh, discussing the subject that it deals with in part, and that is uh, bipolar disorder, uh, depression, and, and how we can deal with those issues, but also the related issues, and if possible, remain medication-free with our kids. Uh, by the way, you can find out more about the book at goodmoodbadmood.com. Dr. Hodges is also uh, the occasional blogger. You can find his blog on goodmoodbadmood.com as well. Back with more conversation right after this. The world of digital technology is always changing, and it's changing you if you're comfortable with technology or not. Your kids may take technology almost completely for granted and rarely notice its effects. On the other hand, you may adapt to technology more slowly, but are affected by the digital invasion just as much as your kids. In the book, The Digital Invasion, How Technology is Shaping You and Your Relationships, authors Dr. Archibald Hart and Sylvia Hart-Fried uncover the ways digital technology is changing us from within, physically, mentally, and especially spiritually, and offers therapeutic and biblical strategies to become good stewards of our digital lives. The Digital Invasion also includes 10 pages featuring Trace Embry of Shepherds Hill Academy. Find The Digital Invasion in the store at LicensedToParent.org. Proceeds support the Shepherds Hill Academy Student Scholarship Fund. Teen rebellion, depression, addiction, rage, cutting, and suicide are destroying our families today. But there is a way out. Shepherd's Hill Academy offers a 12-month Christ-centered nonprofit residential program where kids are being transformed with a biblical worldview and often medication-free. Christian apologist Ravi Zacharias is just one of many Christian leaders who understands what's happening at Shepherd's Hill Academy. It really is such an honor to come alongside Shepherd's Hill Ministries and licensed to parent to rescue those who have been seduced along the way. I cannot gainsay how important this is, and to get behind a ministry like this, one will find the rewards to be extremely powerful in changing society. Get the help you need at Shepherd's Hill Academy. Go to helpmytroubledteen.org, helpmytroubledteen.org. You're listening to Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherds Hill Academy, and you'll find us online at licensedtoparent.org. And we're talking today with Dr. Charles Hodges. He's author of a book called Good Mood, Bad Mood, which you can find on his website at goodmoodbadmood.com. And Dr. Hodges, I was mentioning during the break that that you are, at least in my personal experience, something of a rarity in that you are a licensed medical doctor, but you also do counseling. And so often nowadays, it seems that everybody specializes. And if, you, if you're if you dealing with an issue that looks like it may be depression or bipolar or anything else, 
you can go into one office and they'll counsel you all day long, but they can't prescribe medication. You go into another office and they'll prescribe medication, but they don't do counseling. If a person wants to find someone who represents both sides of the equation, what's the best uh, path for them to follow to, to, to get the right professional? It is difficult. I would say that uh, you may be able to find at least a counselor and a physician who agree, you know, about uh, these kinds of things and work together. That's probably more likely than finding uh, someone exactly like me. Uh, and I, I think one of the more direct routes, you can go to the uh, a website of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. That's ACBC. They'll direct you to a counselor, a certified counselor in your area, and then that counselor uh, may know of a physician who um, also is um, trained in biblical counseling or at least is uh, favorable towards it. Hmm. The, I, I think I do know of one in Georgia. Uh, can't <laughs> tell, you, tell you his name off the top of my head. But, well, that's uh, okay. The, the program's national, so uh, that, that would only help our, our region. We'll just give yeah. everyone your cell phone number after the program. <laughs> yeah, what is that number, by the way? <laughs> that'll, that'll work. <laughs> what is it? Five 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 one two one. Yeah. Well, uh, Dr. Hodges, the term culture, uh, the term culture has been defined uh, by secular folks uh, as the ideas, institutions, and interactions that tell a people group how to think, feel, and act. Uh, I've been contending for a couple decades now that our culture itself has become a systemic breeding ground for what many are calling mental illness today, uh, largely because our declining moral condition. Uh, and, and this seems to be especially true with respect to our kids. In fact, I'd say that much of what you and I would define as the bizarre behaviors we're seeing in many kids today uh, should almost be ex expected reactionary behaviors to a culture that has gone insane. Does your book address the role that simply living in America in 2018 has, has had on the overall mental health of our kids today? Well, it, it deals with the changes that have occurred that result in how we view loss in, mm -hmm. and, and struggles in life. Um, I've always said that we, I was raised in the golden age of childhood. Um, I was born in 1950 when I, uh, my earliest memories are waking up at home mm -hmm. uh, with my mother cooking breakfast as opposed to getting snatched out of bed at 5 o'clock in the morning to go to a daycare center or an mm -hmm. early school program that yeah. runs from 6 until start. school starts at 8. Yeah. Right. So I, I, you know, I spent my first five years at home, uh, and you know, mm -hmm. I call that the quiet enjoyment of home. Yeah. That's pretty much gone for most kids today. Yeah, really the, And uh, we've changed just about everything about how we raise children and how we conduct family life. And the thing that surprises me is that people are surprised that we get different children. You know, if you, if you completely change how you raise children and the family structure, you should expect that the, the product's going to be different. Right. And it certainly is. Mm -hmm. You know, some of the earliest things that changed were in the 1960s when um, the courts decided that it was illegal to uh, talk about God, pray, or read the Bible, or teach it in school, or yeah. teach the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. I learned the Lord's Prayer in the first grade mm -hmm. in a public school in Indianapolis. At, at the time, I wasn't going to church. My parents weren't taking mm -hmm. me to church. Yeah. No, so I, I, I was learned a wise, the Lord's Prayer there. I was a wise man in my uh, sixth grade uh, Christmas play. Uh, we talked about yes. Jesus. You know, I, I learned about Jesus in, in my public school uh, back then. People don't believe that, but that's exactly where I first learned about Jesus Christ. 
So. And all those things have changed. Mm-hmm. And as a result, we now have a society in which every man does that which is right in their own eyes, yeah. which includes, on a given day, a kid uh, going home, getting a gun, going back to school, mm-hmm. and killing people. And you talk about the image, you know, uh, conforming to the image of the sun. Uh, I think a lot of Christians have failed to realize that that often comes from struggle. Uh, we have a tough time believing that hard times can be a blessing, uh, that sadness can actually be uh, used for a, a positive and profitable end. Uh, I think we have sometimes we redefine godly terms with the devil's dictionary, compassion being one of those words. And I forget who said this. I don't know if it was Oswald Chambers or, or uh, I forget. But someone once said, you can have so much compassion upon man as to be in high-handed rebellion toward God. And I think that that, that kind of uh, mirrors a lot of secular uh, uh, mental health uh, approaches, is that we, we want to exercise a compassion uh, that is a, a bit twisted from God's economy. C- can you comment on that? I was asked to comment on a needle exchange program, and the compassionate people who want to do a needle exchange program for addicts say, well, they won't get HIV and they won't get hep C. And I pointed out to them, but the problem is, is they'll take your clean needle and put it in their arm and inject themselves with heroin and fentanyl and die. (laughs) They'll die and you'll be responsible for it. I think it's just all short-sightedness. I think it's just a short-sighted strategy, putting a Band-Aid on a wound that needs, you know, stitches. Uh, And they see that as compassion. And I, I, I... I, I think it goes back to that quick fix digital mentality that we can have everything right when we want it. Uh, we want to feel good at all costs, but the key word, all costs. Uh, feeling good isn't necessarily yeah. being good. Dr. Hodges, we are going to have to bring this conversation to a close. I hope we can have you back on, though, because there's a lot more that we can cover on this topic. Uh, your book, Good Mood, Bad Mood, is uh, available on your website, goodmoodbadmood.com. And uh, we're going to assume that it can solve every problem we have in, <laughs> in the world of mental health. And would, would that be a fair statement? Uh, probably might be overselling. Okay. I don't know. I read the book. I thought it was pretty good. If, he, if, if people would uh, just uh, believe it, uh, apply it, give it a shot. And I think a lot of people have not given Jesus the first chance of being the wonderful counselor or great physician that he claims to be. Well, we do hope that you will give uh, Dr. Hodge's book a chance. Uh, I think it would be a great resource for you, especially if you've got kids in the home who maybe are exhibiting some of the things that we would call depression or bipolar disorder. And I think at, at, at some point in the teenage years, every child looks bipolar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, absolutely. But, you know, uh, we didn't get into a vision of hope, uh, but yeah, Dr. Give, Hodges give, give us a, well, a brief... Okay, I was going to say we can get into that next time, but I, I, uh, I think Dr. Hodges with Vision of Hope, as we do here with Shepherd Hill Academy, we have a proving ground to back up the things we're talking about. We're not just talking about this stuff from behind a desk and theorizing about this stuff. We see it in real time. And so the power of Jesus Christ is every bit as powerful as Scripture claims it to be as our experience has found it to be. If, uh, if people want to find out more about Vision of Hope, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, it's faithlafayette.org uh, slash VOH. That'll get you there. For, for Vision of Hope. Good deal. Well, again, thank you so much for being on the program today. And uh, we are going to have you back very soon, and we'll continue our conversation uh, on this. That is going to wrap it up for today's Licensed to Parent broadcast. Licensed to Parent is the radio outreach of Shepherd's Hill Academy. Again, you'll find us online at licensedtoparent.org. 
We produce this program to try to share some of the hard lessons learned from working with troubled teens day after day. The goal being to help you become the kind of parent your child wants and needs so that neither you nor your child will need residential care in the future. If you can help us with this effort, we would be most grateful. Just click the Donate button at the top of the page at LicensedToParent.org. Your gift in any amount will help further the work of Licensed to Parent and our parent organization, Shepherd's Hill Academy. Our guest coordinator on Licensed to Parent is Daniel Fazina. Our technical producer is Carl Peets. For Trey Simbry, I'm Rich Trozel. Thanks for listening, and please make plans to join us again next time to renew your License to Parent. And remember, folks, if you don't train your children, somebody else will. God bless you. See you next time.